This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey friends, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks so much for being here today. Hope you're having a great December. Mark your calendar, February 4th, 2024, Jacksonville, Florida. Join me for the Donna Marathon weekend. I'll be doing the half marathon. There's a marathon as well. And this is the National Marathon to Finish Breast Cancer. They support those walking through a diagnosis. They support groundbreaking research. And this is the most special race I've ever been a part of. It starts and finishes on the beaches of Jacksonville. It is beautiful, fun. You don't run on the sand, but you get to go right to the sand when you finish. And it's truly a community that I value and care about so much. So if you're looking for a fun way to celebrate February and support the Donna Marathon weekend, sign up, use the code Lindsay 10, that's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y 1-0, and it's Sunday, February 4th. I'll be there. We're going to have an after party. It's going to be so much fun, and I hope to see you there. Breastcancermarathon.com, use the code Lindsay 1-0, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y 1-0 for 10% off your race registration. Can't wait to see you there. All right, today on the podcast, I am joined by my very good friend, Mary Johnson. Mary and I go way back to the days pre-podcast, pre this big, crazy social media world that running has kind of taken over. We became friends in, I think it was like 2013. And then she whooped my butt at the Boston Marathon in 2014, just marched on past me up one of the big hills. We talked about that a little bit in this episode. And we have stayed friends and grown in our friendship over these years. And it has been such a joy to see Mary thrive and have so much success with her coaching business at Lift, Run, Perform. She is all in when she does something. She cares so deeply about her business and hiring the right coaches, giving everything she has to her athletes. She's also the mom of two and is an amazing mother. Most recently, she ran CIM, which was her first marathon in seven years. Mary has been open and honest with her injury battle. She had a major surgery a little over a year ago. And while she's been supporting and coaching and being fully immersed in this running community, she herself hasn't been able to run a marathon in a really long time. And she ran a 308 in California, which was a big deal. And she talks about her mindset and how she did this pressure free and had fun with it and what her goals are in the future. And I just loved hearing her mindset. Mary is also really smart with strength training and she goes through some really good pieces of advice for us for how to approach strength training. And the thing about Mary is, and I think that we all hopefully are learning and growing and understanding throughout our running journey and story is that you are individual. So your story and your training and what you put together for yourself for a race is truly individual. There's not one way to do anything. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. And I hope if you take anything 
from this episode. I think you'll take a lot, but I hope you take that. Like there's no, once I turn 30, I have to do this. Or once I turn 40, I have to do this. Or once I have a baby, I have to do this. Keep an open mind about what your story is going to look like because your body changes, your feelings change, and it's always going to be an ongoing process and hopefully a great process. I was encouraged by this conversation and I am certain you will be too. All right, friends, if you do enjoy the podcast, please leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes. That is a huge help. It is one of the best ways you can support the podcast. Thank you to Go Bucks. I always look forward to new episodes of this pod dropping. It has kept me company on many long runs. Lindsay has a way of making her guests feel at ease, making a great conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You guys can just go to iTunes. It's super easy to write a review and it would mean the absolute world to me. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with my friend, Mary Johnson. Um, friends, today on the podcast, we have my friend, my friend, my friend, my friend, Mary Johnson on the show. Hi, Mary. It's so good to see you and talk to you. It's, I mean, when's the last time we talked? When we were roomies in Boston. That's right. Thanks. Aww, I don't remember best- anything. We were Everything's besties, a blur. just doing our own thing. But that was so fun because you just like, you did your thing, I did my thing. Mm-hmm. And then we got to sleep together in the same bed. Yeah, we would have done really well in college together, I think. <laughs> Um, wow. I am so happy for you. Thank you. Like such a long time coming. Thank you. I feel like I'm still very at peace with mm. everything. So, um, yeah, very, very happy and no interest in running another marathon anytime soon. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, I think that, um, like, I don't know. I had such a good experience at CIM that I would consider going back next year. I also have family that I stay with. I've mentioned before um, on Instagram that I stay with family there and it's so nice staying with them. They have a beautiful home. My aunt is so hospitable. Um, It's so good seeing them and catching up with them. Um, So it makes the CIM experience so lovely. Um, So I would consider just because it's so easy for me. Um, but going across the country is really hard and I have to say I'm not the best traveler. Um, I was a spaz last week or the week of the race. And, um, I also, you know, I'm thinking about how hard it was really difficult getting to the starting line. Um, and so I'm not like, I do need a little bit of a break in terms of just that mental fatigue because coming back post-op and dealing with marathon training was really challenging. So I think I would consider CIM next year, um, but I'm kind of more leaning towards potentially Boston 2025 um, and having a nice year of like no planned anything. Okay. So for those listening who might not know your story, it has been seven years since you ran a marathon? Yeah. The last marathon was Philly 2016. Wow. Like before babies. Oh, yeah. Yep. And that was part of, unfortunately, why. So in 2016, I had run three marathons. And at the that time, um, it was each marathon. So I ran Boston 2016. And then it was like, oh, I want to start trying to have babies. Then I didn't know that I was going to have trouble having babies. And so each marathon because then I ran two in the fall. Or sorry, I ran one in the one more in the spring after Boston and then one in the fall. It was like, this is the last one. This is the last one before babies. And, you know, I didn't know at the time that that 
I mean, the mindset is actually really common. I've worked with people who think that way. Um, but like having a baby doesn't mean running goes away. It doesn't mean that your goals are gone, but that was what I believed. And so it felt like there was this limited timeline. Mm. Um, and so I really kind of dug myself into a hole in 2016. I was working with somebody who honestly, in retrospection, probably pushed me a bit too hard. Um, I wasn't a coach at that point, or I was just starting coaching. So deciphering like what was too much and not too much was a bit hazy. Um, and I was young, you know, like I just didn't know that what I was doing to myself, to my body. I didn't know when I stopped in 2016, you know, I had some stuff wrong. Like that's when the hip stuff started. Um, and my injury stuff started and like, I didn't know how badly I had gotten run into a Mm. hole. So in, uh, again, Unfortunately, a lot of it was because like, I have to do this all because of babies. And that was just such a, (laughs) now I can laugh at myself and say, you were so immature, but I didn't know that at the time. It's like, we always look back and we're like, what was I doing? Why did I do that? I think that the timeline thing is a really good thing to discuss though, because people put that when I turn 30, when I turn 40, when I have babies, when I graduate from this Mm -hmm. and it's like, I want to hear your perspective as a coach. Like when people put those like timelines that we think mean everything, but then looking back, we're like, oh, like I thought that with my hysterectomy. I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. I have to do all these things before my hysterectomy because I'm going to be changed and I'm going to be so different. And I'm like, no, I'm the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I try to express to athletes going through the same thing. Um, And, you know, I say you will be different when you have your baby. I also say you might not want to run. Like I think having the beginner mindset is very valid and something that's very important. Um, and considering all things, you know, I might have to take some time to recover. I might not want to, I might have less time than I do now. Like all of these things are real things. We fear them because they're an unknown. And so we tend to fear what we don't know, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to make it work if we want to. And that's kind of how I pose it to athletes. I'm like, well, if you still really want to run once you have your baby, you will find a way. It's going to look different. And I don't even say it's going to look, it's not going to be harder. Like it, it might be, not be harder. It's just going to look different because how could it not look different? Right. And that's it. And then if you also don't want to have running as such a big impact or influence in your life, then it might look differently at that point. But none of it is a bad decision. None of it is bad. It's just how your life is evolving. But I think often when we hold running so tightly, when we hold anything so tightly, but running in particular, it feels scary to think about letting it go. And so I think it's a really common thing that athletes go through. And just to have a little bit of that, like, it's not failure mindset, it's beginner's mindset, because it's Mm. like truly anything can happen. Because when you have a, when you're a postpartum person, anything could happen. You are a beginner. Again, you're a beginner, you're a beginner mom, you are a beginner postpartum athlete. Um, and it's going to look different. I think that's why we cram it though, because we're scared about what looking different will look like. And then also like, well, what if I don't want to come back to it? And that scares me. So I want to cram it all in, but like, then we're risking injury, we're risking burnout, all those things. Yeah. And like, I think the other side can be talked about too. Like it can be amazing and easy and like, but I tend to hear the other narrative where it's just more scary. And like, um, I think, you know, unfortunately, social media doesn't help in this regard, because it gives this illusion of like, let's 
like happily push our baby in a stroller and for very well could be happy and wonderful and amazing. And I know people who love their stroller runs, but then there's others who don't. And so like, I think if there's any preconceived notions of having a baby, being a postpartum person, being a postpartum athlete, like anything could happen both ways, good, negative, like, and it's okay. Okay, so seven years in the making for this marathon. We've, a lot of us have watched you as your friends and then people that you coach, people that follow you on social media. Like we've seen, like you get close and then an injury happened and then you have to have surgery and all these things pop up. All the while, you are like holding the hands of all your athletes, uplifting them, encouraging them, helping your coaches, supporting your coaches. Like, I want to know, like mentally, like at the at your in your heart, like how did you manage that? A lot of compartmentalization. Yeah, <laughs> like to be at races and just it has nothing to do with me, and that's I don't know it. it doing the coaching thing kept me in the game, mm. like it kept me in the sport. If if I didn't have coaching, I would be <laughs> irrelevant, really, because mm. I, I suppose like I was strength training, um, and you can you can say that plays a role with, with running. Um, it does. Um, but I think the, the running coaching part of it, it just continued the, my own personal interest, the relevance, the community aspect that, you know, a lot of us love our running because it brings us community. Um, and so like the whole business was a product of not doing what I like, not going for my goals and having my goals be Mm. secondary And I think the other part too is that like I did, I mean, no, it wasn't like every single month in the past seven years was I striving towards running a marathon, but like that was a constant theme. It was like that never went away. And so it was compartmentalization when I got to a race event. Um, But like on a day to day, I was still working quietly and trying to get myself into shape mentally, physically, and like tapping into things of the sport that. I didn't know about or could make me better. Um, and the cool part is that like the more I grew as an athlete, the better it made me as a coach and then business leader and all of this other stuff. So like, it's all so tightly intertwined mm-hmm. and not in such a negative way. Like it, it's not about me. You know what I mean? And that's like, that's, that's running. We see that with athletes who do really well, they tend to do well when they do it for their team. They do it for their kids. They do it for someone else. That's way more important than them. And so I'm not saying that the marathon was about other people like that very much was a personal Mm. goal of mine but you know I think I love coaching I love it it doesn't matter running it could be rowing like I rode in college like I could be a rowing coach like I genuinely really really like to coach um and when I was when I left the fashion industry um however many years ago it was like coaching and helping people was a mission and that's Mm. the that's the theme it's it doesn't really the sport doesn't really matter to me it's helping people working with people um, sharing what I know and have learned through years of being in sport and applying that to other people and making them better. Yeah. And if people follow you or know much about you, they know that strength training is like a huge part of your life, a huge part of your programming and everything that you do. How did having that when you couldn't run keep you like fit, keep you mentally (laughs) in a good place? Like what did it mean to you? So I hadn't really bought into strength training until my first baby. And I went to my my friend, mentor. He wasn't my boss at one time, Mike. And I said, hey, Mike, you're brilliant. He's a really, really smart guy. Um, 
at one point was uh, doing a, a he's the head of strength for a bunch of sports teams at Yale. Um, now has his own uh, gym. It's like a sports performance facility. I worked there. I said, Mike, you've never, you've I've never asked you for anything, and you're so good. I see you help so many people. Can you make me a program? I have all this pain from having a baby. My back really hurts. My hip really hurts. Can you make me? Can, can you get get me out of pain? And he said, Sure, of course. And going through my true first progressive lift program where where before I had even worked at the gym and had not I mean I'd been on the programs but not invested enough where I really saw the change physically and when I say physically I don't mean like I got toned and sexy I mean like my body felt better like the shit that hurts stopped hurting and so when I finally committed and I I mean I think people won't like to hear it but like it took at least two to three months and two to three times a week in the gym as like very much a highly dedicated program. And that after going through at least two programs, so that's exactly eight weeks of that, I was like, oh, I've never felt this good. And that's all it took. So like in the big scheme of things, eight That eight doesn't weeks, sound like much to me. Doesn't honestly. sound like much, but a lot of runners don't uh-huh. want to give that type of Commitment. break. Yeah. Right. Um, so you know, you're asking about staying involved, staying motivated. That was it. Once I got the pain, like each week was a little bit better. Each month was a little bit more pain-free. And I'd be like, oh, well, this doesn't hurt anymore. And that doesn't bug me anymore. And it was like all of these little changes. So I started feeling this, the sexy changes, which was like pain. And then once I got out of pain and then I started seeing number changes. So I started seeing my weights go up in the gym and that's, you know, we like running because we see paces change. Yeah. So for me, it was like, cool, my weights are going up. And then there was the physique change. That was honestly last for me. I was like, I kind of like this body. Like, I feel hot. So it was this like evolution of like buying into this, this philosophy that like I had never really given a chance before. And when I talk about strength training, I'm like, just start drinking the Kool-Aid. Like you start getting it because it is, it's boring to progressively overload your lifting. Like it's really, really boring you start feeling better. And then also the gym, to me, it's like home. It's like the safe sanctuary for me. And I, you know, I do have some equipment in my basement, like when my kids are napping, but I love going into the gym. I love seeing the people there. The gym never changes. There's always similar faces. They know who I am. Um, I was the first female to have a full-time job at that gym. And so I have a lot of pride with that. And I love Mike. I love seeing him there. So for me, it's also like the gym is a very safe place to me. And I develop that type of relationship to just like environmentally, you know? Yeah. Hey friends, this podcast is brought to you by Purina Pro Plan. Pro Plan Sport delivers fine-tuned nutrition to help keep active dogs and canine athletes strong and energized for a lifetime of adventure. Each Pro Plan Sport of Dry Formula features protein to fat ratios to fuel dogs, metabolic needs, and maintain lean muscle, amino acids to nourish muscles, including in the crucial time after exercise, real meat, poultry, or salmon as the first ingredient, glucosamine and EPA, and omega-3 fatty acid for joint health and mobility. If we are concerned about our nutrition as athletes, we should definitely take into account what we're fueling our dogs, our canine athletes with, especially if we're out running with our dogs and being active with them, which is really good for them. You can visit ProPlansport.com to learn more 
about the full range of puppy, senior, and all life stages formulas for Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is available for purchase at Pet Specialty and online realtors. Back to the show. Even though I know a lot of strength moves, I feel like when I go to a gym and there's just people everywhere doing their thing, like the gym I go to is way busier and I think bigger than your gym. It just feels really overwhelming. Like I'm afraid people are looking at me like, what is she doing? She's doing that move wrong. Or like, why would she do that? And like, in reality, nobody's caring or thinking Mm -hmm. about what I'm doing. But I think we get into this like freeze mode and we do like the four moves that we know. And then we're like, okay, I'm going to go back to the stair stepper because this is uncomfortable. Um, So I wonder if you have advice for people like getting started, like just if they don't have a mic, writing them a program. Sure. It does help to have some type of direction. I think that's maybe the scariest barrier. Um, And so there's a lot of programs out there, free, not free. Like there's a lot of, this is one of the great things of social media is that there's a lot of options for just getting started. So I think if you want to limit the barriers to making the gym less scary, go in with intention, go in with at least a program. If you're not sure of the moves, this sounds silly, but like do them in front of a mirror at home, record yourself at home, watch your recording back. Like no one cares. No one like just start getting comfortable on your own so that when you go in, you know, right where you're going in the gym, or if you don't, like at least you have a piece of paper in your hand or something on your phone where you're like, all right, this is what I'm going to follow. You tried this in front of your mirror. You didn't feel so silly. Or at least if you did feel silly, you now have a little like some cues that you've given yourself to get better. And then truly no one cares. Um, I do think that the box gyms are a little bit more intimidating. I think especially as a woman, like it is like, it's hard to not go into one of those gyms and feel like bros are looking at you. So I think if they're, I, I know some gyms do have a women's section, um, like take advantage of what's there. If you do have the privilege of being able to afford something a little bit more expensive, if you, if you can do personal training or semi-personal training, um, it, it is a cost that could really, really pay off, um, just in terms of confidence. Cause like once you're confident, it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. like I go to a gym and I'm just like, don't look at me. <laughs> uh, but I think do the little things up front. And if some of it does mean making a a little bit of an investment to feel comfortable, know that the dividends are going to be, they will certainly pay off. Um, And if you can't have any type of investment like that, um, I think, again, the online stuff, like even having somebody virtually helping you can be a little bit less expensive than doing something in person. Um, And I think the plan and the intention just kind of builds with confidence. It's kind of like racing. Like people who have a really hard time racing, getting really nervous about being out there and having just like performing well or having people watch them. Um, I say, go do it more. And lifting is kind of the same way. Like the more you're comfortable in your environment, um, it will be uncomfortable at first. When I interned at the gym, I didn't know anything. I was so uncomfortable. I had lifted in college and I like had been around the gym, but I truly was like, I know nothing. Mm. And I was for a full summer was so uncomfortable. Not a full summer. I would say for a, several weeks in the summer. But you just have to do what you're scared of. And you have to – like the more you're doing it, the less uncomfortable and scared you'll be. Okay. So we're going to talk about CIM. But I want to ask, say someone's doing a 16-week marathon training and they want to have lifting a part of it. When do we build and when do we taper off the lifting for like running purposes to run as fast as we can? 
So I would say start before the 16, like if we're strictly saying 16 weeks, I would say like once you've recovered from whatever it is that you've done the season prior, jump into it because the biggest limiter I see people talk about is the soreness Mm -hmm. and energy and time. And so ideally you're going to be running less and you have a little bit more, you can afford a little bit more soreness in your fitness. Um, So like recover, don't rush that process mentally and physically. I think there's benefit to just like doing nothing and being okay with doing nothing. Um, But then start lifting. That's the first thing that I tell athletes to do once they've done any type of goal race, they can just get back into the gym. Um, And um, I would say at that point, typically I like the goal to be what we call hypertrophy. So that's a fancy way of saying muscle building. Um, And the way to think of this is very similar to running where you know, we, we hear base building. So we run lots of miles, we start strides, we start interval work. Well, with lifting, we do hypertrophy. That's muscle building, not don't get scared. You're not going to be Hulk, but you are, you are transitioning, you're building more muscle fibers so that once you do build on top of that, they have something to grow on. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, a, a lot of times like this base building running phase also comes with base building, lifting hypertrophy. Um, and then, given that you probably have a little bit more time, I would say get in three days a week. And also knowing that when you get further into season, you might need to scale down to one or two times a week or nothing, but it's more about building this platform, this base. So I would say from there, once you do start approaching that 16-week build-out into a race, um, you can still do hypertrophy. There's nothing wrong with that, but there is a little bit more mindfulness about like, comparing the muscles that you're doing in the gym, so lower body, and how it interacts with running. So it looks differently for everyone. Um, I would say, first of all, just taking note of how your body feels with certain patterns. Um, So like, I know personally, I get really blown up when I squat. Mm. So when I'm running a lot, I don't squat. It's Mm. just too much for me. It's too much for my hip. And so I do other things. And so I think noticing how you feel after lifts going into runs is helpful to tweak your program. I think from a philosophy perspective, um, you, I don't ever really believe in dropping hypertrophy completely, but after hypertrophy, we do strength. So what that means in a, again, fancy way is just like we're going from higher reps. So going from like six all the way up to maybe 10, 12 reps to lower. So like three to five. When you get further into season, there is a bit more room to build that strength. So like that does mean weight goes up, but I would say shift more into a, like a strength phase of programming. Um, and then as you approach a race day, um, the literature does suggest four to six weeks in terms of like tapering the lifts. And again, that's going to change per person. It's going to change per experience. Um, but that is the time four to six weeks out is the time at which somebody should consider changing what they're doing, um, lifting. And quite frankly, like, I lift all day long and I mean, not really all day long, but I lift a lot (laughs) and like I dropped lifting leading into CIM. I didn't have time for it. I lifted once like maybe four weeks out and I was so sore that I was like, I can't, I, I, it's done. Cause now I know I, if I continue lifting, I got to get through the sore patch again and I don't have, I can't afford that with the Mm -hmm. running I need to do. Mm -hmm. So you gave up the big lifting, but did you keep up with doing like basic stuff like planks and things like that? (laughs) (laughs) PT stuff (laughs) I did mobility um yeah I mean I have I've learned a lot about hip mobility and I think that is a little bit of a vitamin for me where I am 
Um, so I did some mobility. Um, but honestly, like I, I needed to recover so much that like I, when I wasn't running or taking care of my children or taking a shower, I just was resting. Okay. So that's kind of like where that, that last month, month and a half for everyone else, like it just depends. Like, that's why I say if, if you just drop it, it's not the best. Like I would agree me dropping it probably wasn't the best, but like, it's what I had to do. Um, but if people can keep lifting involved, I would say one day a week is great. Mm-hmm. To your point mobility is amazing. Um, isometrics are really, really helpful as well. So that's something that, um, I, I'm doing a bit more reading on with the literature where, um, it basically like once we have, so an isometric is basically a hold, a hold of contraction for a very long time. Um, and once you were able to kind of condition the muscle to hold a great amount of, of, I guess, load, um, you can now take on more load in running and, and in everything else. So I think isometrics is another really good way of continuing strength training as you go further into season. It also tends to not make people so sore. Mm. Okay. And so, again, that's another way that, like, as, you know, if we're talking about a 16-week marathon build, it can shift a little bit in terms of, like, yes, we go from hypertrophy to strength reps to more isometric work to more mobility even dropped and then race Mm -hmm. and then kind of begin that cycle again. I hate isometrics so much. They're terrible. I saw that video of you doing a pull-up, like, holding – and like mm-hmm. kind of slowly going on. And I was like, oh my gosh, I hate that so much. It's so hard. It's, it's really it's hard. Patience too. I don't have a lot of patience and it takes a lot of patience. It hurts and you also think you will be so sore from it, but you actually will not. Which is crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. We have to talk about your race. I tracked two people. Um, I tracked you. Who's the other person that I tracked? Oh, Megan Murray. Um, your race was so pretty. Like your splits, I don't know that you how you felt if you felt pretty, but your splits were very pretty. Um, and I, you know, it's always so interesting tracking someone because you're like, okay, what's going on here? What's going on here? And so I'd love to have you walk us through like your mindset throughout the race and like staying so consistent with those paces. I mean, I think your was your fastest like seven oh five, and your slowest was like seven twenty, but you were mostly around seven oh nine or something. Uh, yeah, it was, a, I mean, it was pretty even. Um, my last mile, I did go under seven. I'm gonna. Nice. <laughs> I'm gonna brag about that. I yeah. guess I was just looking at the 5k. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair. My last mile was like 650 something. Nice. Um, and my slowest, yeah, it was probably around 720, 719. Um, and the plan was really to even split it. Um, coming back from surgery, I have not been able to do speed work. And so any, <laughs> My range for anything faster, like basically getting over threshold, was very, very small. And so I knew that, like, there was no kick. There was no fast second half. There was nothing in the – there was nothing in the tank. And workouts leading up to it was, like, if I touched 745 on, like, a three-minute rep, I felt blown up. Like, my range was very small, which is, like, funny because a 308 marathoner should be able to run, like... Oh, you mean 645. You said... Th- sorry. I'm at 645. Yeah. yeah. My ability to run, like, 645 and under was very small. Interesting. Yeah. It's... I mean, it, it's a really interesting science experiment of, like, someone, A, who has done it before. Like, so it's... It, the body remembers genetics and also like training principles. Like you're just, I just trained for a marathon. I didn't train to get faster. I just trained. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, I trained hard to run a hard marathon, 
but like there was no building speed involved. It was just like building what was here. So I find this so fascinating because um, sometimes I do think about the paces I used to be able to run for like mile repeats and stuff. And I was like, you were running like 605 mile repeats. Like I, I don't think even if I trained really hard, my body would adapt to that very well. And so that's fascinating and encouraging to anybody listening who thinks, I don't think I can run those fast 800s, mile repeats, whatever, like I used to do, but I want to run a marathon as fast as I used to run it. You just have to adapt. So it is, of course, as we get older, we do tend to develop, our faster twitch muscle fibers do decrease a bit and and we we get a bit more inclined to have the slower twitch muscles. Um, And that's why we see women in particular, I guess everyone, but particularly women, um, like as they're getting older and they can string cycles together, that's where it gets tricky. It's like, if you can actually keep your body glued together to string cycle after cycle, you can get faster because your ability to run long and slow just keeps increasing. And as you keep building mitochondria, as you keep stringing these cycles together, yeah, you're still going to get faster. That's why we see people go like people who ran in college, we, they go from the mile to the 5k to the half to the full or not always that linear, but like they typically jump from the slow to the fast, or I'm sorry, the fast to the slow. Um, because that's physiologically, that's what our body is inclined to do. Um, so I would argue, yes, our body is more inclined to like move slower. Um, but then also genetics would play a role too. And I was the athlete for a while for who, like, if you compared my 5k to my, to my full, like for a very long time, I struggled to break 20. And I was uh-huh. like, I ran many un- sub three ten marathons and could barely break 20 in a, full, <laughs> in a, in a 5k. So, th- so I would say like, I 100% have gifts with like this, with the endurance events with running. Um, so I think that definitely helped my case for sure. But then you know, to everyone, no matter what you're genetically inclined to do, for sure, it doesn't take that much to build fitness back. Um, it takes work, but it also takes specificity of the, of what you're training for. Um, and it just takes consistency. And I would say like, honestly, pre like back when I was running 2016 and before, like my running actually wasn't super consistent. And this past year, like I was able, one of my goals with my coach this year was to just run for <laughs> 12 months. And I did have a, a like minor setbacks, but I finally got to run for 12 months for the most part. And that made a big difference too. And that's again, what we see with, with older athletes. Like if you can just be consistent and keep running more, um, it will pay off in the marathon and the slower events. Yeah, so you said you you had a really hard time holding more than three minutes under 6.45. And I I saw like a good amount of your long runs. Like you had some big, beefy workouts there. Um, What were the kind of workouts you leaned on knowing like you couldn't do that faster stuff? Yeah, so the – I mean the biggest workouts were – I had one where it was like a six-mile warm-up into eight miles at marathon effort um, and then cool down. I had one that was a progression run where um, I was running with people faster than me. That helped me a ton. Um, mm-hmm. I joined the New Haven Roadrunners, and I love Chase. There's some fast That's w- so ladies. Good. Yeah. Oh, it's been so fun. Um, so th- it, we've had a, I've had a lot of fun going to the meetups um, for the long runs. They also pulled me up into ho- like hilly runs. So 
Connecticut's a really great place to train because it's super hilly. Um, when people ask, like, how do I train for Boston? How do I train for a hilly course? I'm like, come to the Northeast. <laughs> people forget how hilly it is. Um, so meeting up with them, I would just chase after them. And I had one progression run, run where after mile, I don't know, 10, 12, we just went for it. And it was, like, not just, like, a flat rhythm. It was, like, through the mountains of, oh my of Hamden, Connecticut. Um, and that one really helped me quite a bit. Um, so the terrain helped just like progressive steady runs helped. Um, those are the two biggest runs in my head. Um, uh, there was a run, I think it was like a, the one where I bonked, it was like four miles, five miles at marathon effort. And then I, I was under, I didn't have enough salt. Um, and so I just turned it into like oscillating miles between like marathon effort and easy. Um, so I still got a, decent amount of like marathon effort work but um my range was like between 720 and like 655 like I didn't go much beyond that range I also did a lot of um like gray runs like moderate runs Mm -hmm. so like if I was out there and I felt good I was just gonna run 730 and I think that zone three gets a really bad rep um but if you're not if you're not doing workouts which I wasn't um I, I spent a lot of time there and that also made me pretty strong. Um, so like for sure I was running my, my truly easy days when I, I felt wrecked between like eight thirty and nine. Um, but then if I felt good, I had the permission to just go for it and I would run seven forty five or seven thirty, and that too made a big difference. I want to talk about that a little bit. Because you are so right. It does get a bad rap. It's mm-hmm. like either like you're running hard or you're running easy. And I will say I I think back to when I used to train hard and I'm like, I did a lot of runs like that. Like I did a lot of runs where I was like, you feel good, just run 730s or whatever. Yeah. And like the, it wasn't like really hard, but it wasn't like particularly like a walk in the park. And I think that's one of the reasons I got really fast back then. But yeah, people, people really poo-poo that. So can you talk on like what kind of runner can handle that kind of effort and when it makes sense? It's less about the runner and more about the intention of the cycle. So okay. if you're truly, tr- if you're truly having speed work, then I would say the the extra availability to recover from that type of middle intensity is a little lower. You know, we can get away with it when we're younger because yeah, we're, <laughs> we're younger. This was like um, yeah, this is like eight years ago. I mean, yeah, different. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when you're truly running, your fast days fast and your easy day is easy, the polarization is needed to actually have adequate recovery. Um, and I would say where it becomes less important is when you don't have to recover. And then also, I would say we tend to run those great days because we feel good. Yeah. And this is where the beauty of training, like there's no literature on this. I can't whip up a paper for you. But like, well, when you go out and you just run hard because it feels good, that actually makes a massive difference. And like it's, there's, there's joy involved. Your body feels good. Maybe you're in the right part of the, your period. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I think it's capitalizing on a good day. And I think a lot of us get, we like to hold things tightly. We like to have our training wrapped in a bow and sometimes it doesn't work out that way. So there is a beauty of just going out and hammering. If it feels good, there's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with it if you're not adequately recovering from the other stuff. And then I also would say, like, if your goal is to build speed, you can't really do that. Like, you do truly have to spend time 
on the other end, the faster end, and make sure that you're learning turnover and, and like you're pushing your lactate threshold a bit or LT2. Like you're basically trying to get faster on that end. Then I would say the recovery element is much, much more important. Um, but if it's not the goal or like maybe you have a season of running or life and you just want to have joy, like go have fun, like go run gray and just enjoy it. And Mm. not just me, like I've seen other athletes too. Like when they have a season of just running when it feels good and not when it doesn't, it actually like, then they they come to race day and they do something for fun. They're like, where did this all come from? It's because you just enjoyed it too. Like it makes a big difference. Yeah. So you're saying you handled the gray well because you weren't doing a lot of that like faster turnover stuff. You were, the workouts that you were doing were pretty much like marathon workouts. Yeah. I had a couple, um, smaller fart, like, like two, three minute intervals. Um, struggled again. Like I think I was running like six forty, six, maybe I touched six thirty. Um, I wasn't doing strides. I had been doing strides in the spring and then I had an Achilles flare up, um, from the strides or not, I think it would have happened anyway, but I didn't do a single stride. I didn't do, I think I could count on one hand, the amount of like two or three minute interval workouts past, uh, I would say September, um, I did, I did some in the summer. Um, but like, yeah, so I would say the true marathon build was like not many short interval workouts. It was all just gray running and then pretty bulky marathon, marathon. effort runs. Wow. Yeah. I love to hear that because people think you, there's like one way to slice it, you know, like mm-hmm. I got to do the midweek speed work. I got to do a speed work and a tempo run and then every other week a marathon pace workout or something. I will say that with the knowledge that I have now as a coach, I did know that like I, I put emphasis on the long run. I also put emphasis on the midweek long run. And so I thought if I feel good, it usually it was like Tuesday or Wednesday. If I feel good Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm going to go hard. If okay. I feel good on In the weekend. midweek run. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So it, and then I knew that I'd have two to three days to recover. Yeah. So I was intentional about the days that I chose to hammer. Uh-huh. But that's it. Like, yeah. it, I think like the other days in between the recovery days, um, I was even using the lever a bit towards the end because my hip would get kind of sore. It, it was like really chill, easy runs. Hey everybody, a quick break to tell you about LifeStacks, which is a performance and productivity adaptogen powder that I love to use. I put it in my afternoon coffee. LifeStacks MCT is the most nourishing thing to add to your coffee. It's delicious and it's packed with functional science-backed adaptogens that deliver smooth, long-lasting energy. It cuts through fatigue and boosts mood and vitality, especially when you're training hard, which I know a lot of you are doing. This is designed for daily use. It helps put you in the zone for a workout or for a study session, work session for me, an hour-long interview. LifeStacks is vegan and only uses clean ingredients. They set out to make the most delicious coffee creamer that's supportive of a healthy, high-performing lifestyle. LifeStacks uses the best ingredients that is scientifically proven Two of their highlight ingredients include Panax ginseng and rhodiola rosea. And the founders of LifeStacks are athletes too. And so that's why they believe in high quality standards. LifeStacks MCT is manufactured in the United States in a GMP and NSF certified facility to ensure purity, potency, and safety. Check out chocolate, vanilla, or hazelnut on Amazon. And you can use the code... Lindsay 15 that's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5, to save 15% off your order on Amazon. 
We will link that in the show notes at lindsayhine.com as well as on my Instagram, lindsayhine626. All right, friends, back to the show. Um, do you know what you peaked your mileage at at your like heaviest week? Well, so that's another thing. Yeah. Um, I, all summer I was like really consistent in the thirties, 35 started building up to forties. Um, and then I got strep and I was super sick in, uh, in October. Um, frustrating. It was, it was awful. And it's actually, honestly, I felt like strep wiped me out. I also had COVID in September, but I feel like strep was worse than COVID this time. Um, I don't know. (laughs) They both are awful. Um, but after strep, um, Mario is my coach. Mario (laughs) basically just threw miles on the calendar. And I remember looking at my calendar being like, okay, we're just going with it. All right, Mario, like, great. And he went, he took my mileage from 40 to like pretty much 60. Really? (laughs) Yeah. What did he say about that? I didn't ask him. I was just like, all right, we're going to try all the miles this, aren't we? And I went for it and I just knew that it was such a big jump. I had to be really careful the first week. Um, and I was like, all my miles were pretty chill. Um, and I was able to handle it. I will tell you, I couldn't handle anymore. I had three weeks. I think it went 58, 57, 59 or something like that, like 58, 59, 57. Um, so I didn't hit 60 exactly, but just under, um, but it was three weeks of that. And I knew, I was like, after these three weeks, we're going back down. And I, I knew, I was like, I just have to get through these three weeks of, like, for me, high, that's pretty high mileage. And I was able to, barely. <laughs> it, was <laughs> my teeth. I was, it was really, really hard. But then I was like, all right, now we can taper. And now we're good. So it worked. Did you do 20 miles two weeks out? So I ended up doing two 20-milers um, two weeks in a row. Um and two 18 milers. So I think my last 20 miler was uh, four weeks out and then I had 18 and then I tapered. Okay. So the race itself, talk to us about that mental game because it's been seven years, but you've talked, you talk to your athletes all the time about like how to handle this mentally. So like, what did you do for yourself? Um, it was always the, the common theme was like, you're doing this just to do it. Like, and that's what kept me grounded. It was like, you're doing this to complete a race again. You're Mm -hmm. doing this with the expectation, with no expectation. You're doing this to just get it done. You're doing this because it's been so long. Like the pace doesn't matter. The time doesn't matter. You just have to fucking do it again. And that's, that was my constant. Anytime I'd get greedy through the training cycle, I'd be like, it doesn't matter. I'd get COVID. I was like, it doesn't matter. I get strep. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm like, you just have to do it. It doesn't matter what the time is. It's going to be fine. And, you know, now knowing that I could do it, like I'll have a lot of crap come up during the, the, the build and it still went so well. I'm like, it's a great lesson that I'm like, all right, anything can happen and it can still go really well. Um, so going into the race itself, I was just like, it doesn't matter. Like you just have to do it. I think I'm around 310 and Mario said, you know, go out at 310. Um, but again, it's a marathon. Like it is so fickle and I, I just didn't want to have an ego about it. Um, and I didn't want to death march and I wanted to run well. And that was it. That those are my only goals. And I would love like the icing on the cake was like, I would love to run a 309. <laughs> but also thinking like, I think more re- realistically, it'll be 312. That's like yeah. kind of what I thought would happen. And when I was out there, Mario said, and we chatted before the race, he said, go out at 715, which is exactly a 310. I was like, really? <laughs> I don't know about that. 
Um, but it felt easy. So it did, it did come together. I felt I had a really good day. Um, after travel, my hip was pretty flared up. Um, I <laughs> mentally was a bit of a mess just because my, I like coming off surgery and d- training for a marathon was really, really hard. Um, I will get messages online from people being like, are you totally pain-free? And I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I wish <laughs> like I am doing much, much, much better. I'm not running through injury. I'm not furthering anything. Like I feel I, I went for a four mile run this morning. I feel pretty dang good. Um, so I'm not digging myself into a hole, but like a purse, a post-surgical body is a really interesting one. Um, and so I was not pain-free. Um, I was navigating this, like, we got to take extra days off. We got to use the lever. We got to cross train. Uh, and honestly, a lot of my taper was, I elliptical, I levered, I offloaded. Um, cause I knew once I got through those, those peak three weeks of training, I was like, I'm can just, I just got to offload. I got to let my body recover. And then travel really pissed off my hip. So hard, but woke up, felt good and went for seven fifteens off the rip. I had in my head, I was like, let's just keep an easy range between seven ten and seven twenty, knowing that it was just hill after hill after hill. It was coming really easy and effort wise. It felt really good. Like my lungs felt good. My heart felt good. My legs felt good. And the only rough patch was a little bit after the half where it was like, I would say 14 through 18, because in my head I was like, okay, just get to 18 without it hurting. Mm. And it was hurting at 14. And I was like, oh shit. Like your hip or just like your body, your body, my body. It was, I was tired. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, can I do this? And that's where I went back to, it doesn't matter. Go back, like you haven't ruined your race. Just go back and run seven. You gave yourself the 710 to 720 range. Run 720, run 725. It doesn't matter. Like if you run 730, you're going to still run where you want to run. I gave myself that flexibility. I kept running seven, they were like 714. It was right around the mid 17s. But I I let myself relax and Mm -hmm. I went back to my data between 14 and 18. Now I take heart rate, optical heart rate data with a grain of salt. Um, however, I think it's good to look at trends. Those miles, my heart rate went up eight to 10 beats per minute. So I was, I was, I was about to, <laughs> to melt. You my think t- your stress was doing that was more than anything? I was stressed. I was worried. I thought I was going to blow up. I was, my tummy got a little upset. And here's the crazy part. I got to 18. It washed away instantly. Hmm. And you, if I look at my heart rate data, it went back down and my pace went back up. And I had told myself 18 is where you can start hurting. And so once I got there, I was like, all right, and now we lean into the pain. And then once I got to 20, I kid you not, I felt again, another boost. Cause for me, it, it's just a pain game. It's like, how long can you, mm-hmm. can you stay in this marathon without feeling so much, not like, again, not hip pain, but just like pain, pain from running. Yes. And again, at 20, I got there and I was like, and now you can hurt even more. Mm. Like, and it was like, yeah, it, it's the mind is crazy. It's all mind. It's all a mental game. That's so wild. Like your body did that. Like your, it was like your nervous system was like yeah. overreacting. Mm-hmm. Cause my, my fuel was going down well. I was eating more than ever. I ate, oh my gosh, close to a thousand calories in the whole run. Um, I've never eaten so much in a race before. I trained like that though. So I knew I could do it. Um, and then, you know, the last 10 K certainly wasn't, a, <laughs> I wasn't 
like skipping. Um, but it was definitely like once I got to that place where I was like, okay, now you can really lean into the pain. And then, you know, I'm starting to do the mental math and I'm like, holy shit, I'm actually doing what I thought I could do. Mm. And then there was a point where I was like, am I good at PR? Like, yeah. And then it was that like gray math where you're like, no, 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 no. Just like keep going. Um, Your PR is 308. 306. 306. Okay. And you ran 308. Yep. Yeah. It was almost exactly two minutes slower. Um, but it actually was my fa- – I've run 308 a bunch of times and this yeah. was my fastest 308. Your fastest 308. My fastest the, 308. So you said that you're not interested in running a marathon anytime soon, which I respect so much. And I also wonder like since you were so close to your PR in this like first time in seven years, like – kind of a no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you're not, there's no pressure, right? Yeah, no expectations. No expectation race, pretty much. No ego, yeah. No ego, like no, I have to do this. But it went well and you Mm -hmm. did it. You like got strong mentally when you need to get strong mentally. Like what are your thoughts on like next time I do this, if I do try to PR because I know I just ran this 308, like how can you set yourself up for success expectation-wise? So – that's honestly the only, one of the reasons that I'm thinking of Boston 2025 because last time I went to Boston, it was a, I was going for sub three. And I, in the beginning of the training cycle, I want, I, I said to who I was working with at the time, I was like, I think I just want 305. Like that seems like a reasonable dip. And that person said, no, no, go for sub three. You got it. Let's do it. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And I wasn't ready. My body was like, it, it was the beginning of the end. And so that's why Boston's so intriguing to me because mm-hmm. I can now take back Boston for myself too. I can take back, it doesn't, and, and honestly, like, sure, I'd love to PR there. But again, it's the same story. It's like, it, I didn't run the Boston that I wanted to. I, I, I saw you at Boston. I ran the, the race of my life there in 20, the year wow. after the bombings, 2014. You just came powering up that hill, right? <laughs> Bye, Mary. See you later. And that's what I want Boston to be. Like, if I, it, you know, it's like, it's, if that's my last Boston, like, I want my last Boston to be so fun and so good. Not to say, like, I'll never run Boston again, but like, I would love, that's where, that's why Boston is motivating to me for no reason. I suppose, like, sure, time would be great. It would be great to run 305 and not go for a sub three and run a PR. But also, like, I want to take back Boston the way I like, I run yeah. Boston. And so that's why that particular course is exciting to me because I'm like, I should freaking dominate that course. That's my yes. course. I love Boston. I run really well in, in races like that. Again, it's because of where I live. You, I can train like this. You know, I can't sign up for a downhill race. I would suck at that. <laughs> we don't have a mountain here, but we have little, lots of little ups and downs all the time. So yeah, that's, to answer your question, like that's, it's because Boston could not be about the time. Boston could be about just running a good Boston after not having a good Boston seven years, eight, eight years ago. That's your answer. I love it. I know. I know. I think I know in my heart that it's going to be Boston 2025, but CIM is so lovely and I love staying with my folks. That I'm like, maybe I'll just go for a little vacation. Can you be one of those people to run one for fun, run one hard? No. No. That's not in your, that's not in your cards. I have to say, I look at people that do that and I admire them so much, but it's, I, it's very hard for me. For me, <laughs> anything, I, Man, 26 miles is really hard. hard. It's very far. My favorite is to run one hard and then run one for fun. And when I mean fun, I mean like a good 30 minutes slower than hard. You know what I mean? Like just straight up party and chill. 
yeah, to be fair, I haven't let myself have that opportunity. So I think I would be, I would love to like, um, be a guide or do something like I'd love to go that down that road. Um, and, and, and I think that magic of, of like just running way, way slower and enjoying it. Like, I think there, of course there's a magic there. I see everyone else doing it, right? There has to be magic, but I think it's, it's so hard in the body. Yes. Yes. Mary, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your CIM story with us. Seven years in the making. You did it. Thank you. It was so good to chat. I'm so happy. I'll talk to you soon. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Mary, for coming on the podcast. You all can learn more about Mary. Go to Lift, Run, Perform to check out her business, coaching services, and all that she's doing. And give her a follow on Instagram. Most of you probably already are. She's It's a Marathon over there. Friends, thanks for being here. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhines626. Hope to see you at the Donna Marathon weekend. Uh, Sunday, February 4th, come run the half with me. I will probably run around a 150 and I'd love to run with anybody uh, that's going to be there that day. I love to just be a part of that community. That's breastcancermarathon.com. Use the code Lindsay10 for 10% off your registration. Thanks for being here, friends, and we will see you next week on I'll Have Another.